Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show, a show that I haven't done in close to a month because I've had COVID and a secondary infection that almost went into pneumonia, but there is no way that I could cancel today's show that I am doing live right now because the man that I am interviewing today is somebody so near and dear to my heart, somebody that every single thing he writes, I devour and I forget to go to the bathroom until I have finished the book. And I forget to eat, which is a good thing. Um, But I just have to devour everything word for word that he writes. So I'm so excited to have him back on the show today. Um, His latest book, let's make this bigger here. Um, And there it goes, is Cold Fear. Today we have John David Mann on the show, returning back to the show. Uh, He and Brandon Webb wrote this amazing book, the second book in a series, and a third book is forthcoming. Let me bring John on um, to the camera, (laughs) my dear friend. I am so sorry about the, uh, you know, the whole no going to the bathroom and no eating and no sleeping and no breathing. And, you know, you probably got all these infections because of me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it's so funny because there are very few books that, that I do that with, right? It's the books that are so incredible that you get sucked into the world so deeply and, you know, your comment, I know you're joking about not breathing, but it kind of happens. You, you almost can't breathe at moments in cold fear because it's like, but, but what's going to happen? What's going to happen? No, no. What? Oh, I can't believe it. Oh my God. Right. So yeah, that's basically what was going through my head the entire time. And I can't believe that didn't trigger a coughing fit, by the way. Um, Good for you. <laughs> it, it's your books. I mean, from the go-giver to all the go-giver books, to all the books you've written with Brandon Webb, um, you know, The Red Circle, Mastering Fear, all of the books about Brandon and Sniper School and all of that stuff um, just have always riveted me and kept me on the edge of the seat. And then to have fiction books from you, which prior to Steel Fear the first book with Finn, the wonderful character, you'd never written fiction like this before. I I mean, John, you're just amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's certain. I'll say this. It sure is fun. It sure is fun to write. I've really, really been enjoying. I didn't know how much I wanted to write novels until I wrote my first one. I didn't, my wife knew, you know, Anna was saying for years, you should write novels. You'd be great at writing novels. This would be really, you'd be, you'd be a great fit for, for novel, uh, for novelizing. And I was always like, "Eh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate the vote of confidence, but I don't see it, but oh my God, Laura, I got, when I got waist deep into the first book, Steel Fear, Steel Fear, by the way, just came out in paperback. Anybody who missed the first book, it's now out. You can stick it in your back pocket, convenient beach read format. Just uh, find it at Walmart. That that book. Oh my God, that book. I I just, it was another one of those ones where I couldn't stop, right? I just, well, you talk about, you talk about, um, 
you know, being immersed in the environment or being immersed in, in, in the space of the book. And that's, you know, that's kind of evolved as part of the formula. I hate to use the word formula. It's part of the recipe for, for these books, for this Finn series. There's really, and, and you know this, there's really three, there's kind of like three dimensions to the book. Uh, and this took a while to discover in the process of writing Steel of Fear. There's the plot, right? There's what's going on. Um, and it's a thriller. So that has to be propulsive and also puzzling, you know, uh, uh, and it has it, a thriller has extremely demanding requirements for the writer, more so than any other book. Now, parables, and you know this about me, I love writing parables and parables are really hard to write. It's an extremely demanding format also. Parables, very stripped down, very simple, fairly short. Um, the, there's There's a dearth of detail. You don't learn much about the characters at all. Typically, there's not a lot of what you'd call character development in the normal sense, like in a great film or in a novel. And yet, you, you got to have a whole drama happen within within a nutshell in, in a parable. So that's demanding. But man, I thought I knew demanding. I didn't know demanding until I wrote that, that first novel, Still Fear. Oh, my Lord. So 400 pages or or more and you can't let the tension drop for a second. You can't let the, the mystery drop for a moment. You can't break the fourth wall, so to speak. Um, you, have to, you have to have that thing, turning the page, turning the page, turning the page, turning the page, turning right. the page. And that's, as a writer, very demanding. For the first book, um, you know, we, and we talked about this, maybe we talked about this. No, we, we missed it last year because we both went through surgeries last year. So um, mm -hmm. the first book, Steel Fear, when I finished the first draft, I sent it to a, a writing consultant, story consultant, and asked, paid for, for her to do a, a full summary, a full um, critique of the manuscript. It's before I gave it to our agent, before we even talked to publishers. And she took a few weeks and wrote back and said, this is, there's, there's really great stuff in here. And you know, it's like, ah, Half of it has to go. I mean, an awful lot of what's in here has to has to has to go away. She said, "I think you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what a novel is." I was like, "Oh man, I don't want to hear this." So that was like my graduate school course uh, on how to write a novel. What she was saying was, I had a lot of extraneous material that was fine as material goes, but it didn't fit. It was too much. It it let the tension drop. It was saying something with. 10 paragraphs that could be said with two. It was saying something with four chapters that could be said with one. And in the end, I took a 160,000 page manuscript and had to cut it down to 100,000. It was like, take out more than a third of the thing. Um, but well, I think I've got it now. That's interesting to me, John, because you know I grew up reading Michener. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Not a thriller. You could easily <laughs> cut half of his books out based on what you just said, because yeah. they really don't add to the story. Right. But, but you yet love it. everybody loved Mitchell yeah. and, yes. and his books. And even um, Ayn Rand, right? You could yeah. cut so much out of, of sure. her Fountainhead Col and all Tolkien. the other books that she's written hey. because they're not needed. J.R.R. Tolkien, right? You could cut out yeah. things. No, you can't cut anything out yeah, of Tolkien, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, it's true. But the thing is that those, yeah, and, and those aren't thrillers, right? I mean- No, they're not. They're, they're not thrillers. Now, 
You know, I, I want to read the brief summary for anybody who has not read Steel Fear or Cold Fear yet, which is out today. It is launch day, and I'm honored, 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 honored to always have you on on launch day. So disgraced Navy SEAL Finn is on the run, a wanted man since he jumped ship from the USS Abraham Lincoln. He sought for questioning in connection to war crimes committed in Yemen by a rogue element in his SEAL team. But his memory of that night, as well as the true fate of his mentor and only friend, Lieutenant Kennedy, is a gaping hole. Finn learns that three members of his team have been quietly redeployed to Iceland, which is a puzzle in itself. The tiny island nation is famous for being one of the most peaceful, crime-free places on the planet. His mission is simple. Track down the three corrupt seals and find out what really happened that night in Yemen. But two problems stand in his way. On his first night in town, a young woman mysteriously drowns, and a local detective suspects Finn's involvement. Got goosebumps. And I've read the book multiple times. What's worse, a SEAL-turned-contract killer with skills equal to Finn's own has been hired to make sure he never gets the answers he's looking for, and he's followed Finn all the way to the icy north. Okay, if somebody doesn't want to get the book just from what I read, I've got goosebumps all over the place. And, you know, you talk about this um, book editor, dramaturge, whatever you want to call her, who helped you with it. But it, I'm just, I'm blown away, number one, by that, which I'm sure you wrote that part, right? Um, I don't get how you, looking at all those different things, are able to make me feel like I have been somewhere I have never been before. Yeah. I've never been to Iceland. I don't know what is real of what you described in Iceland and what is not real, but I want to go to Iceland now. Well, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll, give, you a, I'll give you a, a, I'll give you a, a spoiler alert on that. It's pretty much all real. I mean, okay. um, all, all the detail. So it, you know, there's there's sort of three dimensions in every in in every book in the series, and one is as I was saying, the plot. You know, this is what happens in in the first book, Steel Fear. There was a serial killer and an aircraft carrier. That's a summary of the book right there. So Finn is is uh, is stalking a serial killer on an aircraft. People are dying on an aircraft carrier. That's the plot. It's what happens. So there's sort of a procedural element to that. In Cold Fear, there's also a procedural element. There's this girl who mysteriously drowns. There's a detective who's trying to figure out why she drowned, who she is, what's going on there. Finn is also trying to figure out, figure this out. And he doesn't even know exactly why he's trying to figure this out. I know that sounds weird, but Finn isn't even entirely sure why he's in Iceland. There's an awful lot that Finn isn't sure about. And that's the second thread, the second dimension of these books is Finn's own internal quest. There's this external quest, but then there's this internal quest, which is Finn's got holes in his memory. He's got uh, issues with his past. There's a sort of uh, one reviewer this week just said that Finn is maybe best described as a combination of Jack Reacher and, and Jason Bourne. I love that description because the external, the, the plot, the procedural thing, that's very Jack Reacher. But the psychological thing going on for him is very Jason Bourne in the sense that there's stuff about himself he doesn't know. There's stuff about himself he isn't sure about. He's not entirely sure on the spectrum of good guy, bad guy, exactly where he falls. And, and we're not entirely sure either. 
Um, and there's so a little bit of Harry Potter in there too. I don't oh, know I, why. If if you like, that's okay with me. So there, <laughs> so there's that, and then there's the third dimension in these stories, which is the strange, foreign, weird environment. Uh, in in Steel Fear, I'd never been on an aircraft carrier. Most people I know have never been on an aircraft carrier. It's a completely foreign environment. Um, when you actually go in there, it, it's almost impossible to imagine. It's a steel tube the size of the Empire State Building, dropped in its side, put 6,000 people in it, plug it up, drop it in the water for six months. And it's right. like it's like a small town on the water with all of the intrigue and the politics and, and everything. Um, so it's an extraordinary environment. And part of the job of Steel Fear was, yes, solve the crime, do the whodunit thing, keep everybody guessing. So far, not a single person has written in and said they guessed the identity of the killer in Steel Fear, which I find really gratifying. Not one person I, I has guessed. I didn't <laughs> guess in either book. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I like that. Then there's there's the whole internal quest that Finn's going through, and you have to you know, that that has an arc to it. But then there's this weird environment, and one of the goals of Steel Fear was to make you feel at the end like you knew what life was like on an aircraft carrier. In Cold Fear, so Cold Fear, there's nothing really military about this book. It's it's takes place in Reykjavik, which is the northernmost capital city on the planet, uh, the capital of Iceland which is a strange place. It's a place that when I started writing Cold Fear, I didn't even really know exactly where it was on the map. Um, so I had to learn everything about it from the ground up. And there is so much to know. It, it's, they call it the land of fire and ice. It, it, is, it is situated on the top of the highest mountain peak of, a, of an undersea mountain range, longest mountain range on, on earth. It's the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. And it's a volcanic mountain. So it literally sits on the tip of a, of a volcanic fissure. Uh, my friend Brandon, my co-author, the, the Navy SEAL, had been to Iceland. He'd, he'd taken a couple days trip there during, during the Christmas break. And so he'd been there in winter where the story is set. And he went diving in a place at the head of uh, Lake Thinkfalavatn, which, which you visit at the end of Steel Fear, uh, Cold Fear. That's the and he place went, where you can touch two continents, right? That's the place where he said you could reach. He reached out his hands and he could touch with with each hand the continental plate supporting Eurasia and the continental plate supporting North America. It's the only place on, on the planet Earth where you can touch two continents at once. And, and uh, Finn describes it as a like a, a cut lunchbox sandwich split on the diagonal, pulling apart by an inch every year. And so it th this pulling apart every 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 year on top of a vol volcano means that Iceland is a land of volcanoes and earthquakes and glaciers. And it's just extraordinary. It has, it has the um, highest literacy rate in the world, higher than us, higher than anywhere else in Europe. It has, it had the first female head of state of any, any nation on earth. It has the oldest functioning parliamentary democracy on earth. It's, it is the, it has the oldest written books that we know of from which Norse mythology and all of the rich vein of popular 
fiction and, and fantasy fiction these days based on North mythology, all that comes from Iceland. I mean, and there's Denmark and Norway and Greenland and blah, blah, right. blah. All, but, but Iceland is like this font of, uh, of civilization in so many ways, and hardly anybody knows anything about it. It's, it's so fascinating. So that was a yeah, big all job. You, all you really hear about Iceland is the Northern Lights and yeah. the Hot Springs, and yeah. it's really cold. <laughs> and which actually, it, yeah, it actually isn't as cold as everybody thinks. It is in the book because they're in a cold spell, but and that right. does happen. But yeah, people know Bjork. And people know that there was a big volcano a couple of years ago that nobody can pronounce. Um, right. And in the back of the book, I tell you how to pronounce it. So now you're okay. Also. So how did you gather all the information about Iceland? I know that you go on searches to find somebody, but I don't yes. think a lot of my listeners really understand the work that goes into building the a book like this, that the place is such a significant part of the plot yeah. to it. The place is a character. The place is a character. There's a point in the story where Finn is, is um, he's following somebody and he's, he's also being followed. So he's, he tries to lose himself in a crowd and the crowd he loses himself in is this little tour, tour group. So he sort of disguises himself as a tourist and he's being, being, you know, wafted around the city in this tour group. And um, at one point, they walk by a hot dog stand. They all, all sample the hot dogs. And the tour guide tells them that it's Bill Clinton had a hot dog once there and had it. I think this is still in the book. Bill Clinton had a hot dog there with with and just stunned everybody by having only mustard on it. And ever since then, you know, people like to eat hot dogs from that stand with only mustard. Well, that's a true detail that actually happened. And the really? little weird little details like that are throughout the book. They're all they're all factual. Uh, and, okay, and okay, so what is the normal hot put dog? on the hot dog there? I mean, I'm an I'm a ketchup person, not a mustard. I don't know. I I forgot whatever that whatever the answer you know, to that question is. It didn't matter, so I forgot thing. it. Yeah, who knows? Um, but but uh, the, the answer is <laughs> it is a combination of just good old fashioned research. I mean, I, ideally, I'd go to Iceland. But right. I didn't go to Iceland. It was the middle of COVID. I, nobody was getting into Iceland. Nobody was traveling when I was writing this. So, no, I didn't get to go to Iceland. Um, I wrote most of Steel Fear before I ever set foot on the Abraham Lincoln, which I did eventually get to do. And that was really helpful. But I didn't get to go to Iceland on this one. Uh, Google, uh, Wikipedia. Um, uh, I read a, I read, there's a, a, a wonderful crime novelist um, called Arnoldur. They just use first names in Iceland. Arnoldur Ingedison is his, we would call it a surname. It's not really, it's a patronym. But anyway, Arnoldur is the, the premier novelist in Iceland. And I, I dipped into one of his books just to get a flavor of Iceland. And after dipping into one of his books, I read everything he wrote. It just, I couldn't stop. He's amazing. It was extraordinary. And from, from Arnoldur, I got the, the, some facts, details, little things about Iceland, a small amount, you know, maybe 5% of what I ended up getting, but, but also the flavor of it and also the feeling of the culture and the spirit of the nation. I read other, other bits of fiction from, from Iceland. Um, I watched uh, a movie that was shot in Iceland, of which there are many, because they're, mostly they're just for, you know, the James Bond films with Iceland shots because they're so scenic. Right. But I found a movie that was shot all through Reykjavik and actually was in the city. 
but mostly I just delved and delved and delved and delved. I looked at lots of, you know, I would ask, ask Google a question. Um, and you know, how do they curse in Iceland? Um, what do they have for breakfast in Iceland? Um, you know, what's the standard of living in Iceland? Uh, how many police are there on the ice on the, on the police force in Iceland? And I just, you know, read and read and read and read and read. And then finally, I made friends with someone, a young woman who's an author herself through a friend of a friend of a friend, friend of Brandon's, um, who agreed to be my Iceland expert. And we corresponded like crazy, Silja. And I asked her dozens and dozens of questions that she took very patient time answering in detail. Right now I'm writing book three and which takes place in another part of the world. And I, I've just found my, my uh, correspondent for that part of the world. So I'm doing the same thing all over again. The, the big part of it is honestly, Laura, and I, and I, this fascinates me because I never knew this before. A big part of his research and the, the lion's share of research is asking the right questions. Um, you can't just, you know, sit down and read an encyclopedia about Iceland and say, okay, you got to go, you got to craft questions that, 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 that turn up stuff that's interesting and colorful and relevant. Right. Cause otherwise it's just facts. It's just facts, which, you know, you cannot cram facts into, into a book because people will well, stop reading like that. It's not a thriller. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's not a thriller. That's the point. It's not a thriller. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, and that's Okay. Um, you don't read Hawaii by Michener to find out who the killer is. No. Right. Um, so uh, the other part of it is, is you just have to have a sort of empathy. I, I made a decision from day one that for me, Iceland would be a character. You said this, Laura, and you said it absolutely. You're absolutely right. The aircraft carrier was a character in the first movie. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a monster, actually. It was a little bit like the shark and Jaws. But it was, a, it was a complicated character with its own culture. Iceland is a character in this book. And like getting to know any character in fiction or in real life, in, in fiction that you're writing or in real life that you're living, you need empathy. You apply empathy. Just, just make a decision that you're going to imagine yourself into the shoes of that person. Imagine yourself into the soil of that, of that nation, of that place. And what does it feel like? And um, that's you know, that's really the that's that's the writer's job. And, and then one of the other things you do so beautifully with Brandon is you create possibility as well, and make us believe that things that you're talking about really can happen. Like going back to Steel Fear, right? Yeah. Um, I remember I sent you an article uh, a month or so ago. Yes. That the USS Abraham Lincoln, an actual U.S. aircraft carrier that is a carrier. There it is, right there. Fear, yeah. Just got its first female commander, Captain Ab Amy Bowerschmidt. Yeah. Yep. First ever female to do this. Yes. To Captain take over an aircraft carrier. So I'm so curious to see what what other things in such positive ways of a world that you have built in this book, Cold Fear, and in your next book are actually going to come true because you thought it potentially into existence in a positive well, way. It, it is, yeah, it is strange. There's a, in, in Cold Fear, yeah, it's it, in, in Steel Fear, you know, Steel Fear, in the, in the first part of the book, 
there is a string of what appear to be suicides, um, which this is no spoiler alert, because since I already said that there's a serial killer on both, the, per right. the perceptive listener will have already guessed that those aren't really suicides. But, um, you know, a couple of months ago, there was a string of suicides aboard an American U.S. aircraft yeah. carrier. And it was like, it's like it is sometimes the stuff you write. What we write, the events of these novels are fiction. But there are pieces of, of real life in them. Um, and the things that, that aren't real life, the things that didn't really happen, they all could. And I'll give you an example. One of the continuing threads through the whole books is, the, is that in the weeks just before Steel Fear begins, there was a mission that went terribly wrong in Yemen with, with Finn's SEAL platoon. And that is one of kind of the signal events that started this whole saga going, where a whole bunch of civilians were slaughtered by, by as it turns out, a, uh, a, a sort of rogue band of SEALs. Yeah, you can't tell anymore. Don't spoil. I, Don't spoil. I won't say anymore, but you know what? Um, <laughs> those kind of wartime atrocities happen. Um, yeah. they, and they've been much in the news in the last couple of years. So there are things that happen in, in cold fear that haven't really happened, but, but they could. Um, yeah. They could happen. Everything has to be feasible or or it's or it's or the book doesn't work the story doesn't work right that's how conspiracy series sort of get created because there's some thread of possibility or, or truth yeah. in them now brandon brandon webb your co-author here your partner in crime who literally partner in crime and now, thriller in this particular partner in crime fiction um you know former navy seal uh seal sniper added mindfulness to sniper training school, amazing man, created um, amazing companies yeah. since his career as a, a Navy SEAL. And he gives that military piece from having lived it, breathed it, and still working with people in those fields to help them and, and do different things with them. How do you guys work together to write stuff like this because number one he's traveling all over the place still right and he's running yeah. his other business you're writing plus you and your glorious wife anna wrote the go-giver marriage that we talked about a whole bunch of months ago amazing yes. amazing <clears throat> book that i keep giving as gifts to people because it's such an amazing book whether you are married want to be married or just want a better relationship with yourself What's that relationship rate? We haven't talked a lot about that over the years. We've briefly touched on it, but it's different when you're writing a nonfiction book with Brandon, I would imagine, than writing yes. a fiction book with Brandon. Yes. So yes, it is very different. what that's like? Yeah, it, it, that's, a really, that's a really perceptive point. It, it, it is radically different, a, a radically different relationship because all the nonfictions I think we wrote six, five or six nonfiction books together. And I think there's like seven, but that's okay. Okay. When I, when, who lost, I lost there's a anyway, lot, but in not enough. Books, by and large, in those books, um, I interview Brandon because, you know, the lion's share of the content comes from him. Or in the case of some of the books, interviews with him and with other uh other spec ops guys, not all SEALs, some SEALs, you know, in, in, for example, the killing school, killing school traces the story of four different snipers. Amazing. Um, and, thank you. And, and one of them is, uh, was Canadian infantry. One of them was a uh, ranger army ranger us. One of them was, you know, all different branches. One of them was a Marine sniper. 
So in those, I interviewed those guys. So I'm, I'm drawing real life material and turning it into a story, but it, it's, it's nonfiction. It's real. This is different. I don't sit down with Brandon and do 12 hours or 25 hours or 50 hours of interviews about what happened because nothing happened. I have to make it all up. <laughs> so how we work together is very, very different. And you're right. He's traveling along the place. We don't spend hours and hours and hours and hours on this. Um, Brandon's, he does provide the military, a military context. He has that, that bank of, of experience and knowledge not just military, but also kind of intelligence and foreign affairs. He has sort of his finger on the pulse of the whole world of, of, um, of that whole world. But I don't get a lot of, it isn't like I go, go to him for a lot of facts. Mainly I go to him for brainstorming. We brainstorm together. We, we'll, we'll get the, the basic idea of the plot um, or some of the key plot threads we'll brainstorm together or he'll have an idea of this. And I'll say, Oh, it, it can be done that way. And he can say, Oh, you got to that. We go back and forth. And then I'll take what we got and I'll start spinning characters, start spinning scenarios, start weaving connections between different events and how this might happen. That might happen. When I find myself in a corner, um, I wrote, I wrote uh, two emails to him this morning uh, asking about specific events around the Coast Guard ship. Uh, when I get in a corner, either on some technical detail or I've written myself into a corner that I can't figure out how to get out of, like, how might this happen or how might that happen? I'll just shoot it past him and say, got any thoughts? And he'll go bing, 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 have this idea, that idea, and it'll spark me in a new direction. So he's kind of a it's kind of like having a mastermind group that you take okay. problems to. But he's a mastermind group of one. Um, so that's. He's kind of like my my Icelandic consultant. And by the way, if I haven't said this already, and I haven't, writing a novel is a team effort. I don't care who says different, at least. For me, for writing these books, I have a psychiatrist who's a dear, dear friend of mine. I'll be seeing in a few weeks in Houston when I go there for the book tour. I have a dear, dear friend who is a psychologist. I have a, a good friend who is a medical doctor, an army medical doctor. I have all these experts that I go to. I just connected to somebody who's an expert in hurricanes because there's a hurricane in book three. Spoiler alert. So um, there's a Coast Guard ship and a hurricane in book three. But I've already said too much. Um, <laughs> and so then I had this Icelandic expert. Well, um, Brandon is kind of like a member of that team for me, except that he is, has a much broader base of knowledge. He's kind of like my go-to guy on on, on all subjects that have to do with the military, foreign affairs, or just story brainstorming. There's so many different threads, I feel like, in a novel that you don't have to think about in nonfiction and pieces in nonfiction yes. that you don't have to think about in a novel. Like in nonfiction, you have to worry about, okay, is what I'm saying actual truth? Is it a perception of the truth? Are there other people involved in this that I need to get permissions or worry about my, what might happen? In a novel, even if you do a disclaimer in the front, it's all a work of fiction. There's still some of those concerns of, okay, can't you know? I don't want somebody to perceive that maybe this is based on them or a country to say I'm disparaging them, right? You want to... Be careful about certain things like that. Which do you find easier to write, 
or where do you have less worry when you're writing fiction, nonfiction, or it's equal? I think they're both easy. I think they're both easy. And honestly, I don't worry about any of that very much in, um, in, in fiction. I don't worry about whether people are think uh, whether my characters are too close to somebody real. Um, The captain of the ship in, of of the, of the Lincoln in, in, um, in steel fear is a pretty crappy guy. He's a pretty, he's a pretty serious jerk. And um, I met the actual captain of the Lincoln at the time when I was writing it. And, uh, and in the, in the, in the credits in the back of the book, I say that he is, by the way, nothing like the captain in the book. (laughs) I think that's, I think that's the farthest I've gone to making it really clear that we're not Mm -hmm. writing about this guy. Um, But uh, yeah, I I don't have too much worries about that Um, country that I'm writing about right now. I'm, I'm being very careful to paint the people of that country in the best light and, and, and not give in to the stereotypes that, that can often happen. And I think that's important, but that's the kind of care I take anyway, in any case, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or anything else. Um, the only, only real times I've worried uh, or, or been concerned have been issues of security and of military issues in some of the nonfiction, where we've actually had to have books cleared by the Department of Defense. And DOD clearance is just a major pain in the neck. We've had books where they've actually uh, sent the manuscript back with a whole bunch of, of uh, what do you call it when you do black marks of the whole thing? Oh, redacted. Yeah, thank you. Redact a whole bunch of stuff redacted, and the stuff they redacted was often really silly. It's like it's in the public domain, um, and there was stuff that we said in there that was that was a, a good deal more sensitive than what than that they didn't redact. So it, it has a pretty arbitrary feel to it. But that's I'm thrilled that we don't have to worry about that with with fiction, which we don't. It's like thank okay. you, fiction. Now, but I, I always take care to try to paint people in real or similar to real. To try to paint them in the best light, and even if they're creeps, to to give the, give you a sense of their humanity. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've noticed in both of these books. You know, you mentioned Jack Reacher, Jason Bourne. Let's talk about those authors that wrote those books. They're famous for creating characters that you care about. I remember when I got divorced. Um, for the second time. And a friend said, I needed to read the Jack Reacher books. And I said, why? I'd never read anything by the author before. And she said, because the bad guy always gets it really, really bad. (laughs) (laughs) And you care so much about the Jack Reacher character. You can see the coiled violence in them, but controlled with the intelligence. And I started reading them and I totally got it. And then literally went to the library, took the shelf off the library and just read. Yeah, dragged it home. Yeah, dragged the whole shelf home. Yeah. Yeah. With, with you, you know, and I, I remember when I was asked to interview another author who I thought was Brad Thor, but mm. it wasn't, it was a different Brad, but in my head, it was Brad Thor, and I was so excited because I love everything Brad Thor has ever written, right? Uh, and then the weekend before the interview, this is back when I was in broadcast, I went, oh, my God, it's not Brad Thor. I've never read anything this guy has written, but they sent me his new book. So I went to the library, realized he had two shelves full of books. Brad, Brad Meltzer? 
<laughs> no, it wasn't even Brad Meltzer. Some other, some like, other brand. It was another oh, brand. So I ended up re- spending the four days reading yeah. every single thing. Thank God I read really, really fast. Back to yes. back. Every single wow. book he'd written. And I found and fell in love with mm. his characters. That's the same thing I, I get with Finn and the characters you talk about in Steel Fear and in Cold Fear. And I'm looking forward to the third book, which has no name as of this point we, that we, it, it's not like Voldemort, he who will not be named, but we're not talking about the name yeah. of the book at, at this point. The depth of the character, the human character versus the ancillary characters, like the the setting, the locations, because those yeah. are so critical. I'd love to know, because like I know Brandon, not have not actually physically met Brandon, but many, many conversations with Brandon and I've had him on my show. Um, I compared him to Harry Potter, one of the first interviews I ever did with him, because he said his mom didn't want him doing it. She wished he was more like Harry Potter. And I felt like he was because snipers are like Harry Potter where you have to, you know, it's not about killing somebody like James Bond. It's not about that final thing. It's about the intelligence gathering and all this stuff that has to happen because you never want to pull the trigger. Right. Um, How did the Finn character really come about and is he an amalgamation of Brandon and a lot of other characters or is it something is Finn somebody you guys just completely made up I've never asked you that and so, so that's curious. a great question that's a great question and it really was a fun process I can tell you exactly how it happened so Brandon had the idea for Steel Fear as you know he had the the basic plot idea like 25 years ago, back when he was in the right. service in the early 90s, before he was even a SEAL, in fact. He was a rescue swimmer and sonar operator on a, on a helicopter a helicopter team. So he had this idea f- based on some events that happened on that, that aircraft carrier. And he'd done a little bit of writing. He'd written up some chapters. He had some drafts. He had like 12,000 words um, of, a, of a story idea that he'd done over the years. And um, he asked me about if I, went, I would be interested in, in working with him on this novel back in 2009, 10 years later, we finally got down to it. And I read what he'd written. What the story didn't have was a hero. It had a hero, um, but I didn't think he was, it was a hero that could really carry the novel. It was actually Scott who, who stays in the novel as a, as a, um, uh, as a maverick, not a maverick, as a Mustang officer with, with one leg. You, you encounter him in the book, but he was the original hero. I said, no, 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 we need, we need somebody more complicated somebody darker, somebody with a more puzzling past. And so I spent like a year and a half dreaming about who would that be. And that was actually before we did any work on the novel, before we were even working at all on the novel, I was working on Finn. Um, the original idea for him came from, based on another character, a real person, who'd had a traumatic event happen in his childhood, which is similar to what happened to Finn in his childhood, not exactly identical, but similar. So there was there was that spark from real life, um, and then I have I have stuck on like you know like pieces of, of clay stuck on a, on a clay figurine um, aspects of, of Brandon's life. I borrowed from Brandon's life 
Brandon grew up in, the, in his teens in the docks of Southern California, worked in a dive right. boat. Well, so did Finn. Um, you know, Brandon was a rescue swimmer, swimmer on an aircraft carrier before he was a SEAL. Well, so was Finn. Um, so I, Brandon had a really, really close friend, his best friend, Glenn Doherty, who was killed in Benghazi in that infamous event um, in 2012, I guess it was, I think. And um, Finn had his friend, Lieutenant Kennedy, and Kennedy's based on, on Glenn. Um, so there, there, there are pieces of Finn's biography, which I, I mean, Brandon's biography, which I know really well, almost as if it were my own, because of all the years of talking with him, through, talking through all these events that have happened to him. Um, a lot of things that happened to Brandon, well, yeah, we won't get into it, but you know, there's a lot of things that I, that I know that aren't even in, in, in the books we've written. Right. So that is a huge resource for me that I've drawn on to help round out Finn's character. But the core of Finn's character isn't anything like Brandon. The core of his character is this incredibly damaged uh, boy who um, suffered terrible trauma as a child in an, in an event that we learn about. And there's also more trauma that we haven't yet learned about, sort of trauma of neglect and trauma of other kinds of things that happened to him growing up that we'll learn as the books unfold. And he's struggling to find his own humanity to really find his own i mean you can make it simple and say his own goodness he's troubling the fun but he's struggling to find his own humanity he presents in book one in steel fear as somebody who doesn't seem to even have any feelings empathy he says something it seems to be a muscle he was born born without or maybe it was severed at some point in childhood um you see a gradual change in cold steel fear. I once wrote was all about leadership. Cold fear, cold fear is kind of a parable about, about friendship. And you see him starting to recover pieces of himself, not only pieces of his memories, but also pieces of his humanity. Um, And that's, you know, somebody asked me a question a couple of weeks ago in an interview. They said, are are the events of Steel Fear based on a, on real life, or is this pure entertainment? Pure, he said, or is it pure escape, escapism? And I was like, wait, those are my only two choices. <laughs> um, I have never bought this this idea that fiction is escape. I mean, there's there's fun escape. I, I'll watch, um, you know, Princess Bride. It's just. Oh. Classic. For, but you know what? Even that isn't pure escape, even though it's, it's it, most comedies are just hilarious, wonderful escape. But even so, it princess, there's a heart at the core of Princess Bride, which is all about true love, right? Love, true yeah. love. <laughs> um, so the same for me is true about great fiction. Great fiction is not a way for you, to, for me, it's not a way to escape reality. Great fiction is a way that helps you, is a path that helps you engage in reality. That's what I that's what I think. So I think when you read about Jason Bourne struggling to figure out where he's come from, what has he done? Is he an assassin? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? What the hell is going on here? Um, you, you when you read Jack Reacher um, sticking up for the underdog and overcoming ridiculously outlandish odds, you know, there's a piece of Jack Reacher that you take with you into your life. This is why your friend told you to read the Reacher books. And I think yeah. that's just, just, just brilliant. You take a piece of Harry Potter with you. You take a piece of, um, you know, you take a piece of, gosh, uh, anybody, 
anybody that you that you have the experience. There are characters in Cold Fear who, other than Finn, there are other characters that I guarantee the when you finish the, the book, detective. you will take away. The, the lead, lead detective. detective. Oh my God, Just, I love her character. Krista Christian's not here. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to try that. <laughs> The, the reviewers have, have, have actually, every reviewer has singled her out as saying, this is a character who could, who could, who could hold her own series. I fell in love with this. She's great. This, this like 50 something year old, kind of bitter. We assume she's single. We don't know much about her past, although we learn a little bit about the tragedy of her childhood. And she has the foulest mouth in the book. Um, and, you know, everybody who reads her loves her. You'll take a little bit of her passion, uh, her her incapacity to and re- and refusal to understand uh, random violence, wanton violence. Um, there is something compassionate about her that just sticks with you, and that's to me that's one of, one of the goals of great fiction is to give you pieces of humanity that you take away with and make pick part of your own and help you adapt to and cope with your own life and solve your own life problems uh, more readily. Yeah, I would agree with you on, on that, John. You know, when I read your books, when I read other fiction books of the genre, and even when I read your nonfiction work with Brandon and not with Brandon, because I read everything you have ever written singularly or with other people, including your MLM book, um, I find that I learn about myself when I'm reading them. Any book I read, there's always something about myself I learn, either in how I'm reacting to whatever's unfolding on the pages or how I'm not reacting to something, dissociating because it might be too difficult. I don't like reading about serial killers, but yet in your books, it's okay because it's not like reading about, it's not like the silence of the lambs, which I just couldn't tolerate. This is, it's about this person who's doing these things, but it's about humanity. It's about all the other people around it and what an individual could do to make a difference. And that I think is, a true gift, John. And I know this is only your second fiction book, but to me, you have a gift for helping us explore the world and ourselves through the characters that you write. Mm. And that is such that's a beautiful so thing to me. I That's so sweet. I so appreciate that. And that's, I so appreciate that, especially because that's, you know, that's what I, that's what I want to do. <laughs> when I, for years, I would think when Brandon had first posed this question in 2009, you want to write this novel with me? I thought about it for years, honestly. It's like, why, why would I want to? I, be, I have a belief, which is that you, you get more of what you focus on. What you put your attention on shows up more in your life. So if you, if, you, if you are focusing on things that could go wrong, more things go wrong. If you focus on things that could go right, more things go right. It's nervous simplification, but that's the basic idea of it. Brandon taught that in his sniper course. If you focus right. on don't miss, don't miss, don't miss, you'll miss. If you focus on here's what I need to do to, to make it right, even for snipers, you know, positive thinking. But I, for years, I, I would from debate with myself, why would I want to spend a year of my life um, you know, getting inside the mind of a, of a devious monster? who does terrible things to innocent people. You know, it's like, what's the point there? 
And uh, I mean, I wrote about this in, in Crime Reads, and uh, I wrote a, an essay there whose title is What's a Nice Guy Like Me Doing in a Homicidal Place Like This? <laughs> and, you know, and for me, the idea of it is exactly what you said. It's terrible things do happen. And it, that is just really a part of life. Now, most of us won't experience the kinds of terrible things that happen in these novels, right. the serial killers and the wanton murders and so on. But we do experience terrible things, whether they're illnesses or personal betrayals or bankruptcies or, you know, re financial reversals or divorces or, you know, we experience terrible things. And yet we go on. How do we do that? And that's really the study of, of the book. It's and anyway, so I, I appreciate the comment. And that's that's we're, we are pulling for Finn. Finn has not totally pulled himself out of the, the the extremely difficult puzzle of his life by the end of cold, cold fear. But he's gotten a good chunk closer. And I can't wait to see what happens in book three. And we're getting close to the end of the time. But I want to this idea just popped into my head. And I do not know if you and Anna would have even thought about doing this, right? Because you wrote The Go-Giver Marriage and you're so good with the fiction, okay? Have you guys ever thought about writing, not a romance novel, but you know how Barbara Taylor Bradford wrote A Woman of Substance and books like that? I could see you and Anna writing some amazing book about, women and about, you know, romance and about love and about life in a fiction book versus the parable of the go-giver marriage. I could totally see you guys doing something amazing in that genre. That's really <laughs> you might not be thinking that. about it. I'm just throwing it out there. Well, that's great that you would say that. I will, I will, I will say two things to that. One is I personally love writing female, strong female characters yeah. in, in Cold Fear. You know, there's one, and really there's basically one strong female character in Steel Fear, uh, Monica. Um, we have not seen the last of her, by the way. Oh, and, yeah. Um, Cold Fear, there are not one, not two, but three really strong female characters. And one of them dies on page five. And yet still, somehow, by the end, she emerges as a hero. Um, Yes. All three of them no, are, we're not, are We're not teasing. Powerful. Well, we just teased. No, I teased, but that's okay. Um, just a tease, just a tease, not a reveal. So all three are really strong characters. I'll, I'll also add this. Anna and I have a, we do have a book idea, and it, it'll, it'll happen one of these years. Okay, cool. Cool. Now, um, tell everybody how they can get the book that released today. And you have a book tour, which I'm really excited you're going on. Unfortunately, I can't make any of them, but I wish I could. First um, book tour. We couldn't do it last year. There was too much going on with COVID. Too many stores right. were still closed. But we're doing it this year. I'm thrilled. So, uh, And it's not just tour. virtual. This is no, live. In, in person, person, in bookstores, signing people's books with a real pen in our real hand. Uh, the first, there's the website there. It's webandman.com. And on that site, you can buy the book from, you can buy signed copies of the book, no matter where you are in the country, you can buy copies signed by both Brendan and me. Um, you can also find our book tour. And the first event of the book tour is tonight in uh, Portland, Oregon. Second event is tomorrow in Manhattan. Third event is the next day in Coral Gables. I mean, we're going all over the country. Um, I'm going to be in Texas and Houston and Dallas and Waco going to be in Rhode Island, going to be uh, just south of Hartford, Connecticut. 
So yeah, we are we're going all over the country with a live book tour, which we're really excited to be able to do to see readers and fans face to face and and answer their questions and chat it up and sign books. So. And there's one virtual one, I think, that Brad Thor is interviewing the two, two of you. We're two. doing two virtual events, one with Brad Thor. Yeah, that is pretty exciting. So Brad and Brandon and myself in conversation um, through um, SoftRep, which is Brandon's media company. Um, I don't recall the date of that, but it's on the site. And then we're also doing another virtual event through Warwick's in Southern California with Robert Crace. Uh, oh wow, that's the, awesome! Uh, yeah, author of the of the Elvis Cole Joe Pike novels, which has right. an enormous fan following. This guy Robert Crace, he wrote for Hell Street Blues, man. He wrote for Miami Vice. I mean, he's, I he's crime writing royalty. Yeah, he's a very, very. Both of these guys are just tremendously nice gentlemen. So we're doing um, virtual events with with those two guys. Yeah, Brad Thor was the guy I thought I was interviewing, but it was Brad right. Taylor I was interviewing, who I love oh, and I've interviewed okay. multiple times. All but, right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch the interview with Brad Thor with you guys. And uh, I, I hope everybody buys the book, John. I mean, hold up your physical copy because I only have the cover on my Kindle copy. They did a beautiful job with this book. They really did. They really did. Um, last thoughts that you want to share <laughs> Even the spine is lovely. I know. And it, I mean, you can't feel it in, you know, on the, on the Kindle in terms of how the book feels, but I'm such a tactile person. Um, I actually had the early release you sent me so I could prep for the interview. You had yeah. sent me a PDF. I literally printed it out all 400 plus pages. Oh yeah. It's pretty printing it, but I needed <laughs> To feel like I was turning the pages <laughs> of the book, you know, yeah. and yeah. there's something so special. So I encourage everybody to get the physical copy of the book or the Kindle yeah. copy if you prefer Kindle. And there's an audiobook version as the well. The audio is stunning too. The reader is amazing. He's a really accomplished actor. Yeah. yeah. And that's how you'll know how to properly pronounce all the names in the book. That's right. That's right. Although I do give you a pronunciation guide in back. You do. And it was really, really helpful. It was very, very helpful. And I always love reading your acknowledgments. I read the first 31 chapters of the book out loud on my Instagram account. You can go to my Instagram if you want. I'm just at John David Mann. And you'll find the first 31 chapters of the book. You'll even get to hear me struggle through some of the Icelandic words, as well as some German words and, you know, and a bunch of other things. So. Oh, I'm going to have to go up to your Instagram now yeah. and, and check that out. Last thought that you want to leave my listeners about writing, about this book, about the partnership, or really about anything, because I just love listening to you. <laughs> I, well, I, I'll say two things, that just the first two things that come to mind. And the first thing is that, that you know, I, I really hope you enjoyed this, the book. I hope you enjoyed the stories, that the story of Finn, you know, it's like in a, in a good TV series. In every season, there's a, there's a story that kind of resolves itself, right? The season's arc. But there's also a larger arc that, that doesn't resolve till the end of the entire series. And that's the case here. Every book has its own mystery that gets solved. At the end of the book, you know what happened. But there are larger issues that don't get resolved at the end of the book. We get closer, but there's still, still so, much, so much missing. I don't know whether that's going to be five books, six books, seven books, ten books. I don't know how many books it's going to be. And I don't yet know all the pieces myself, although I do know some of them. Um, 
But I can promise you that if you if you join us in this journey and stick with Finn, Finn is Finn is going to somehow come out of all this. Um, as 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 we all are, we're going to come out of this. We're going to come out of this okay. Um, that's that's my intention. We'll see we'll see how it goes. And um, yeah, so I, I really appreciate um, every single person who reads these books because without readers, there's no books. That is so true. And your books, everything, nonfiction and these two fiction books are totally worth reading. So thank you for being with me, John, and for always doing launch day with me because I know this yeah. is going to be another best selling book. And I really hope this hits New York Times. I know you're already a New York Times best selling author, but these books deserve to be New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today best selling books. They're that good. I devoured them. I forgot to go to the bathroom. I, <laughs> I almost forgot to breathe. I was just like, but but I need to know what happens. These books are a health threat. Yes. yes. <laughs> In a good way. In a know? good way. Yeah. So thank you well, for thank being you. here with me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I, I love the uh, tradition we have going here every day, every year, launch day with, with Laura. So yeah. I love it sometimes twice a year because you have other That's right. books. Really we'll great. do it again. I have two coming next year, so we'll do it twice next year. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I love it. It's so great. And um, hold up Cold Fear one more time for those who are watching on video so they can see the actual cover. Cold Fear, just so you know, paperback steel fear. Yes. Awesome. And it is a great beach read, really. Um, airplane read, beach read, boat read, whatever. Get, it's get in the airport book. bookstores. I'm so happy to see that. Oh, that's so nice. I always get yeah. books at airport bookstores. Yeah. It's really great. Well, thank you again for being here with me. Thank you. And everybody, grab your copy of Cold Fear by Brandon Webb and John David Mann. I hope you enjoyed getting to talk to John to today to hear what he had to say about his writing process, about the partnership, about the characters and how he builds them. And I hope we've teased you to get a copy of this book. If you already have a copy, remember to rate it, review it up on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you got the books. Post on social media. These books are great. And your support always helps the authors that I have on the show. Uh, comment on social media. John mentioned he's read part of the book up on his Instagram, at John David Mann. Um, if you're watching this on video, the website is listed on the video if you are on podcast uh, top three percent globally for this show so thank you for that year after year web and man.com that's w-e-b-b-a-n-d-w-a-m-a-n-n.com web and man.com with two n's to get a copy of their book i want to thank you all for being with me here and i apologize that i have been um, off the mic for the last four weeks due to um, illness, and I'm hoping that I am back now. And I love all of your support and the notes you all sent to me saying, hey, are you okay? I'm okay. I'm coming back. Love you guys for listening. Love you all for commenting. Please go buy a copy of John's latest book, uh, Cold Fear. It will keep you on the edge of your seats. Have a great day, everyone. And remember, the right questions can change your life. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.